Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Crackpots and These Women, and the podcast that has been very, very irregular of late. Baseball playoffs. Baseball! It's not even mostly my fault. It's not, I mean, well, the fact that you're not around on, like, I mean, it is mostly my fault, but still. But, (laughs) but, we also have the fact that two of the three of us are responsible for occasionally filing on very tight deadlines for games that like to be on the west coast and also go five hours yeah i have that tomorrow night yay hey at least it's actually a central time game and not it's also saturday night and not a weeknight which is much better because if i have to drink a cup of coffee at midnight on saturday night it's not like the end of my life basically hopefully Hopefully. Yeah. Well, so... I mean, I can, I can at least sleep in on Sunday is what I'm getting at. I might miss the Giants game. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, right. Then your life will really be over. Yeah, I know. So. So. So we are back, and we are back to good episodes, and we are very excited because we're going to get to talk about one of the better episodes in the West Wing's entire seven series run. Bartlett for America. Bartlett for America. Bartlett for America. So, to take you back to the beginning of the season, which we started talking about, what well, feels like four months ago. It actually um, was like four months ago. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> so, Bartlett reveals to the world that he has MS and also declares that he's going to run again. We get the potential, well, we get the appointment of a special prosecutor. We get CJ deciding, you know, that they need a different enemy because the special prosecutor is entirely too fair. Um, and also not moving fast enough for the White House. who would like to get this over with so that they can focus on winning back the White House. Um... We get some Oliver Babish in there. We get some Ainsley Hayes in there. Uh, we get Abby Bartlett being attacked because she's the one who obviously gave the drugs and was the main participant in the conspiracy slash a conspiracy to defraud the American public by concealing the fact that the president had a potentially debilitating disease. Now that we're caught up, we are to the House hearings, which we've been hearing about on the show for a little bit, but then they had to go do stupid things with people. Um, before we got to seeing our first actual witness in the congressional hearings. And that witness that we see is Leo. He's um, not the first one, is he? He's no, just no, the first he's the first one. It's not clear. Yeah. It's actually that's not really clear. That's what it's I was not, getting yeah. at. I it's feel like he's clear. not the first one you call. I, but I feel like they go. I feel like they probably started out with because they had. We know with we know they haven't called Abby. We know mm-hmm. they haven't called Bartlett himself. I don't get the impression they've called any of the other senior staff. Yeah. Yeah. Because but I don't. I just can't imagine why Leo would be your first one. I imagine they probably called some of the like lower staff. Like yeah, there. You know, we know that Donna's been deposed. Yeah, for these. But that's different, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that it is possible that Leo was the first one to be called because they spent all the, you know, in our imaginary world, they spent all this time deposing people sure. up until then because yeah. there were a lot of people to depose. And for plot yeah. purposes, we don't need anybody but Leo. No. Oh there, yeah, sure. So. I was just saying in general. Yeah. So I, you know, they don't really make it clear whether Leo's the first one to go in front of the panel or if they've already talked i don't know margaret or something you know the some of the lower you know the people that were with them during the campaign but that aren't senior staff or something like that mm-hmm. i don't know we never will know but we have leo the main the main overarching point of this episode is leo's testimony on the hill and what we see in flashbacks that illustrates his testimony on the Hill, which is mainly about the campaign, his role in the campaign, his role in getting Bartlett elected, and how long he knew about Bartlett's condition. 
Second part of the plot is a very minor plot that has some amusing bits. There's um, been cases of arson in Tennessee targeted at black churches. So we get Mike Casper with the FBI back. Um, and it's basically just, it's something to give the White House staffers to do while we mainly deal with Leo on the Hill. It's something for the White House staffers to be called away from while we deal with Leo on the Hill. You need a B-plot. That's really what yeah. it is. It is. Well, it is a B-plot. That's what I have. A, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The reason yeah. it's there is but so there is a B-plot. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do like a Marvel Universe crossover. Does huh? anybody else just consider like Mike Casper and Phil Coulson just like the same character? They are, the same character. They are, they yes. are literally the same character. Like, Phil Coulson is Mike Casper, I don't know, and I, I, I mean, there is a, I am sure that there, there are no, I guarantee you, if I pull up any one of four fanfiction sites and type <laughs> in Mike Casper, comma, Phil Coulson, I will come up with at least 20 different fics yes. proposing that exact thing and fleshing it out in 13 different ways because okay. there will be the people who don't have, you know, who have the same idea. And then you'll have the kindergartner who's like, I don't know. So anyway. Mike, Mike Casper goes under deep cover with S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. <laughs> or, my no, or, it's Col- is... or it's Coulson who's under deep cover with the FBI. Okay. That one actually makes more sense. My problem is, in Sorkin world, I always think of him as the one who saves Sports Night. Mm. Oh, shit, I completely forgot. Yeah, Sports because, Night. because oh one of God. Sorkin's greatest transgressions is not having... Um, him come back to then save ACN on the newsroom. I still can't. I still wish that would have happened. Well, because he was on the newsroom by that time. He was on Shield, or he was in At the Marvel. Whatever. He could have so- done five minutes. It would not just if been, it's cross network. It would have been perfect. It would have been perfect, but if it was, cross I know. Network, I'm not saying logically. I'm saying it would have been great. I wasn't being realistic here. Okay. Um. But now that we've had that amusing digression, uh, it this plot exists so that Bartlett has something else to worry about, and they get to have amusing phone calls, and you end up with the very amusing, um, you know, I'd like to tell this this phone line isn't secure, so I'd like to tell, you know, all of the, what was it like eleven the different seventeen yeah the seventeen different intelligence agencies listening in that he was kidding, um. I liked the setup with like the TV in the background. It was cute framing. Yeah. Um this was however the an episode where I noticed how bad like graphics technology was back then because those TVs weren't showing recorded footage. They were showing like screened on footage and it's only in one or like most of the time they do a decent job of masking it. But it's the one in the Bartlett outer office where they're waiting to go in and everybody's standing around watching the TV and it's like just a little bit too bright and not quite centered. <laughs> um, or at least it looked like that to my eyes. Yes, yeah, no, it's the, um, the, this, you and her, she's a, they're, you're a 50 screwball comedy. And Leo replies to the president, you're a 50 screwball. <laughs> I love that. Oh much. It is a very good line. Jordan is easily one of the best like guest I love characters. Jordan She's and phenomenal. I wish we saw her more. I love the relationship between her and Leo. Mm-hmm. She doesn't take Leo's shit, which I love. Like I I love that. It's the repartee. I mean, yeah. the actors just have it down. Yeah, oh, they have absolute chemistry together. Like I just I love it. Um, so why don't we, what do, what do y'all want to talk, I mean, we were already kind of talking about the arson and the B-plot. Do you want to get the B-plot out of the way before we talk about the A-plot? Is there anything else to talk about with the B-plot? I mean, no. It just kind of happened. Well, I just, I love, I love the, some of the stupidest criminals in the world are working right here in America, and I've always been proud of that. Yeah. I, that's such a great line, because basically... It does. Basically, the reason that it's a plot at all is that the FBI doesn't yet have the. They don't have motive. They don't have suspects and they don't have motives. So they can't definitively say that these 
the string of what was it like twenty something church arson, you know, either arson or arson attempts, um, are connected. Even though you know it would seem like they're connected, but they don't have actual evidence that they are connected. And so there's the potential that the governor will need to call in the Tennessee National Guard. And there's this thing, and it's heavily implied that the Tennessee governor is racist, and it's yeah, there's just it's a it's a plot. It's there. It's there to move things along. It's there so that we can get Mike Casper not wanting to go in, and you know. Oh, we we fade into the background, but you'll t- you'll take a handshake. Um, it's basically an excuse to get Josh and the president in the same room a few times. Yeah, yeah. because in the a plot, Josh spends most of this episode attempting to get a particular representative out of the room. They are trying to get Gibson. At further, and they don't reveal the reason until most of the way through the episode. They're trying to get Gibson out of the room. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, we do get a really great cold open with this episode, which we haven't talked about yet, which is Leo preparing for the hearing. You know, he's on the phone with Josh. He, you know, the, Margaret's there, and we get this great moment between Leo and Josh and they're not even the same place. This It's just a really nice little moment where you get Leo, you know, you're not doing, you know, you're only doing this out of a, what was it? Misguided. You, you need to save everybody around you since everybody in your life died. And it's kind of like a yeah. harsh moment. It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, and like, cause Leo is very on edge this entire episode. Like he snaps at like four different people in this episode. You know, and he does a similar kind of thing with, with Bartlett in in their phone call. But Josh takes it and goes into this, you know, it's because a man falls into a hole seat, which is the speech that I Leo gave him. I like time. that. I like that beat a lot because it comes back. That's from Noel, where Josh has the PTSD and Leo waits for him. And Josh, Josh is like, you know, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Um <laughs> Josh is like, why, you know, why, basically, like, why have you not just fired me? And Leo's like, because, you know. I've been here before. Yeah, it's basically the man falls into a hole thing is his friend jumps down with him because he's been there before and he knows the way out. And it's a really great beat that does a really admirable job of, of kind of highlighting the relationship between Josh and Leo. These are which, also, that was the Christmas episode from the year before, and this is the Christmas episode for this year. Yeah. So, oh, is it? Yes. I didn't look at a calendar. No. Interesting. This is one of the row of West Wing Emmy bait Christmas episodes. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, John Spencer won the Best Supporting Actor Award for this episode. Shockingly. <laughs> he should have, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Leo's, Leo's line is because you walk around with so much guilt about everyone you love dying that you're a compulsive fixer. Which is maybe not wrong. I was going to say, yeah. It's... <laughs> It comes it's, out it's wrong, but not. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little truth bomb, but. And I mean, I get it. Like, I'm that person. I want to fix everyone, too. So, to me, it was. Yeah, no, he, it's a... he means well. It's not an insult. Sure. It's delivered a little roughly. Yeah. Because Leo's about to go face a whole bunch of really annoying people. The U.S. House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we go through his testimony, and he's basically asked to go through, step-by-step, step, the campaign. Uh, so we get more flashbacks. We get flashbacks to when Leo proposes to Bartlett that he run. That's like, which is an amazing scene on all it's, levels. It's we, this is a we get Mrs. Landingham back. Oh, he calls her a crusty that. old New England relic. <laughs> I always forget we get her until like her name comes up in the credits, and yeah. then I'm just like crying like until she comes on screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a really great. This is that's the the Leo. So basically, Bartlett sitting in his office listening to these two like. PR dudes. New Hampshire! It's what's new! Yeah. And 
Leo is skulking about in the hallway, and we get, yeah, we get Mrs. Landingham. We get Mrs. Landingham at her best, where, you know, Bartlett shouts for Leo, and I'm standing right here, I could, I, or I could go get him. Like they do, what is it like they do in the civilized world? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm happy to get him myself as they do in a civilized world. There is one part of this scene that bugs me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is it, let me guess before you say it, is it the fact that Leo is standing in the hallway writing it on the napkin? No. No. That doesn't bug me at all. I think that's cute. Um, Bartlett is a two-term governor. He was in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's a Nobel Prize winning economist. There's literally no way he hasn't thought about running for president at some point. There's no way. There's no way that Leo was the first person that mentioned that Jed Bartlett should run for president in this yeah. universe. Yeah, that's it. It's impossible. That's, I there is always the possibility that he at some point thought about it and then decided he wouldn't win. Well, yeah, but someone would have brought it up to him. It's it's specifically said yeah. by in the congressional hearing that Leo is the person that suggested that he should mm-hmm. run for president. There's literally no way that yeah. that that at this late of a stage that Leo would be the first person to yeah. say. Yeah, you're right, and now it's going to really bug me. It's well, a slight plot I don't know. hole. Like, how, here, hang on, let me look. Do you remember any of the wording from the... Oh, we uh, can look it up. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for it. Um... The part that bugged me, and it's always bugged me every single time I watch it. Um, There's no way he licked Mr. it. Mr. McGarry, it, it was you who first approached Judd Bartlett about running for president. Is that right? Yes. Where and when did that happen? Four years ago last month at the State House in Concord. There is some... He first... Like, there. I think that there is a difference between sitting around, oh, you should run for president someday. Oh, you know, maybe. And I will run your campaign. You should run this Sure, it's it, Bartlett's, react, Bartlett's reaction, though, is just, like, that he never even considered it, and that it was Okay, not, then, yeah. You know, it, I, it's I'm just a in little... The wording, in the wording of it, there yeah. is, I think that there is a difference between, oh, ha-ha, you know, I should run for president someday, and... But, like, in the world of Here is a campaign Wing, slogan, let's go. In, like, in the world of the West Wing, Bartlett is somebody whose name is being mentioned a lot with a open with you know an open presidential he's giving speeches at dnc right like he's you know every significant statewide office holder under the age of set like between the ages of 45 and 70 is mentioned to be running for president in this type of situation governor or senator because there really aren't that many of them that have really great qualifications and would fit in that spot, and Bartlett would be an obvious one. So. Ugh, well, thank you for ruining this. I just, I, I thought it's <laughs> No, you're right, you're right, that's the problem. I, I, it's it's right. just something that's always struck me as a little weird about the scene. Yeah. Um, I do really love the scene, I really love this episode. Um, I, I do want to note one other thing, which is that we get another hint that Leo himself harbors significant political ambitions in here, because when Leo approaches Bartlett about getting back into politics, Bartlett immediately assumes that he's running for Congress or thinking mm-hmm. about running for president himself. Yeah. Which is... And I think that at other points we've seen that there are lots of other people that were who didn't maybe know about the alcoholism. Sure. Who were surprised that it was Leo push... I mean, I think we get this at one point in a later season that, yeah. you know, expressing surprise that it was Leo pushing Bartlett instead of Leo running for himself. Yeah, and I'm, obviously if you've watched the entire series, there's a reason I keep mentioning these in the episodes <laughs> as they pass, because this yeah. is all foreshadowing a fairly oh, well, significant yeah. plot later on. Well, I mean, and we even, like, we get, like, we get the fact that he, you know, he was labor secretary, he's been around forever he's clearly very respected yes if also a little bit hated which politicians but has um, he run for anything it's These not, are all it's not never actually made clear whether yeah, he has i never not. got the sense that he all was. we know is that um he is a decorated I don't think he's decorated I, I, vietnam war hero mm-hmm. um 
ended up being a top top um defense contractor and he was secretary of labor and also a high-ranking political operative yes. this is the kind just, of resume that you can run for president with yeah i just i never got the sense that he had run for anything yeah we don't know the answer to that yeah right um there's certainly uh, i think i think that we can infer that he hasn't because if he had even for state office the rehab and pills would have come out already because wow. remember going back all the beginning of the season the first crisis they have is leo's alcoholism and pill addiction yeah well so, that that was after he that was while that was the period during and after him being the Secretary of Labor, so it's possible yeah. that he was, like, a congressman or something like that before that, and we just don't know. Yeah. Doesn't seem likely, but it's never, I don't think, affirmatively ruled out. I don't think so. Um, they do kind of keep Leo's background a little amorphous. Mm-hmm. At times, on purpose for yeah. plot reasons. Yeah. So when when they need to go back and have Major Dad be his commander in Vietnam, they can do that. I wish they could have kept it hazier. Yeah. Could have done without the entire sequence. <laughs> God, it's so bad. Yeah. Oh, Major Dad comes back too. Oh God. Um, like there's there are periods at which um. It's pretty clear Leo is a lawyer, too. That's mm-hmm. another well, part. Well, yeah. that's a lie. We're literally all lawyers. Yeah, like Leo, Leo occasionally mentions being a lawyer. And, yeah. like, none of this all fits together, but whatever. Oh, no. He's had, like, 12 careers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean, if you, if you, if you accept the premise that he was, ne- he was never elected to anything, and you can see how he went to Vietnam, came back, went to Vietnam, came back, finished his college degree, went to law school and GI Bill, then... Worked his way up as a, you know, worked and then went and was with his law degree, did defense contracting. Yeah, was like an attorney for a defense contractor and, and eventually became an executive and got yeah. politics. Yeah, I mean, and then you got can, into politics. And I mean, it could. The, but, I mean, there is a way that one could potentially fit all of this together, I think. Yeah. Doing the rough math in my head, y'all. Doing the rough math in my head. It's not an episode of this show unless I do rough math in my head. So. No, and um, you know it's it's all it's all fine. I just it, it just strikes me as a little bit weird that Bartlett had never thought about running for president before. Oh yeah, it it's, is. I mean, it's definitely a little bit stretching the. You know, one one must stretch one's sense of but it's fine if we want to you know perhaps he had dismissed it in his head because he had ms i don't know. i was about to say we talked about this last time and you both yelled at me uh, but it's the ego like bartlett has an ego because all politicians oh yeah. have an ego so there's no way it hasn't come up i have to assume oh, yeah. abby at some point has yeah. you know i can well, see because it because abby's can, the whoa, one hold on hold on let me yeah, finish sorry, i'm sorry i'm sorry I'm so sorry, finish. I can see it being, okay, fine, you can be governor, but we stop there. And then she can be convinced, okay, one-term presidency, but then we're stopped there. So I'm sure it has come up. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's no way Leo's the first one who said it out loud, even outside of the Bartlett family. But if you read the, if you read those two scenes, literally, I think that's what we're supposed to believe. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm saying it's unrealistic. Yeah. Even though that is how it's supposed to happen in the world. Or in this world. Yeah. Um, the... I can't remember... What is the oldest daughter's name? I can't think of it. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Thank you. Doesn't the snowmobiling come up with her and her husband later when he's running for stuff? Yes, this is a major political (laughs) topic in I didn't think I was just, like, imagining it. I think it genuinely is. I think it was just kind of, it was just super genuinely are like, like I now want to Google that like whether or not snowmobile snowmobile. I mean, I'm sure it is. Like, what else is a major issue in New Hampshire? That was a little rude. I hope we don't have any New Hampshire. Somewhere Listen. in here, we get the first appearance of the Bartlett for American napkin, which is literally the last scene in the series, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the that's which the is... end of this. Scene. Which is how well this episode is remembered and 
becomes kind of a key plot point. That, As well it should be. Yeah. Okay, so you know how they're talking about New Hampshire? It's what's new. I am on the New Hampshire website right now. I did not realize that their slogan is New Hampshire, live free. <laughs> Y'all there? Mm-hmm. I think we lost Jarrett. No, I'm still here. Oh, okay. I was debating. I was internally debating whether to go on a libertarian rant. New Hampshire yeah. has lots of libertarians. Oh, okay, I think you can stop with there. I think you can stop. I think you can stop at New Hampshire has lots of libertarians. But that's why and, that's the, that's why that's the state yeah. motto. Well, while it's, we're gonna do that, there were I think I think I only wrote down two of them, but two things that completely were Trump, and it was horrifying. The beginning, they're talking about how the Grammys are rigged, and the whole thing of the tax returns and the medical is like, let's get out in front of it. Yeah, that yeah. I did think of that. Well, yes. Well, I mean, but they say like, like the let's get out in front of it. Like that's. Like, they're saying they're going to release his tax returns, and they're saying they're going to, like, I don't think that that's, like, I that did bring to mind the fact that Trump won't, but... Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that's fact what that it... they're, I mean, but it's like, that's a political thing. That's yeah, the, that's, like, just, that's, that's, the point. that's what you do if you're the third, you know, you're a third candidate wanting to actually get into the race, is well, you that's my make point. it as legitimate this is as what possible. You do. Yeah, that's just what the I'm standard saying. operating oh, okay, procedure yeah. yes. is to take and, a physical and release your yeah. tax returns. Right. Both of which Mr. Trump has refused to do. Um, he had his he had his medicals. You saw his doctor. He didn't have a real. He did not. I'm he did kidding. not release the results I'm of the physical. Kidding. He released that hilarious letter from the quack. Oh, I love that doctor with all my heart. Yeah, it was the greatest thing. Uh, reminded me of no, you two aren't gonna get this joke, but Chael Sonnen's doctor. If anybody follows MMA. Oh. Yeah. I never know when you're going when you say we're not going to get the joke. Uh, yeah, I know. There was, there was a, uh, a Chael Sonnen was a fighter and he was trying to get the extent, basically an exemption to get himself off of a steroid positive. Um, so the doctor came in and claimed essentially that he had hypogonadism. Um, oh, of course. That very small, very small <laughs> testicles. Um, so it's like this quack doctor talking about Chael Sonnen's very small testicles. It's a it's a pretty famous within the MMA community. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> anyway. Oh dear. Back to Bartlett for America. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, we get to see more of the campaign again for the first time since Josh's flashbacks. Um, you know. We see the we see Bartlett offering coins a spot on the ticket. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um at which point Hoynes realizes that that has been revealed in the campaign. It would have been Hoynes his presidency. Yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, it's subtle, but it, like, really tells you a lot about their, like, future relationship. Sure, and this is even hinted at in a previous episode mm-hmm. where Bartlett says, you shouldn't have made me beg. Yeah. I was offering you the vice presidency. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the scene where Bartlett essentially has to beg. Yeah. And it's really awkward, and played is really awkward. It's supposed to be really awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, we do kind of, as the season goes along, I feel like Coins becomes a more sympathetic character in his appearances in this season because we are billing, building towards third, which is kind of the Hoynes sympathy episode in some ways. I know you're a Hoynes fan. I never had any sympathy for Hoynes. Mm. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm colored, obviously, by later events, but I just... And I'm a very empathetic person. So, I mean, I just pretend that, like, the season five of John Hoynes doesn't exist. That makes it a lot easier. Because the West Wing also pretends that plot doesn't exist outside of that plot. That is very true. (laughs) But, like, even, like, season six Hoynes, or season seven, whenever they're running... Oh, no, no, like, I'm saying everything after... Oh, yeah. you're, I think uh, I meant just okay. The, the, the Aaron, Everything after uh, Life on Mars. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin's yeah. portrayal of John Hoynes and John Wells' portrayal of John Hoynes are similar characters, but not exactly the same. They kind of they wrap it back up in our last few Hoynes appearances. He becomes more like Sorkin Hoynes again. Mm. Um, and this, you know, and Life on Mars is actually like a really good episode. 
But oh, Life on Mars is a great episode. Yeah. I just don't like Hoynes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I just uh, never. That's fair. He's yeah. he's built as the antagonist. He's built as one of the primary recurring antagonists. All right, I should I should specify. It's not that I don't like him. You're not supposed to like him. Yes. I never had emotions towards his character. Sure. He just like bugged me. I was just like, I don't need you here. And that's I think that's kind of his role on the show. Yeah, I mean it's possible. I just he wasn't a good villain for me. He's not a straight villain. Uh, he's a, he's yeah. a non-villainous antagonist. Yeah. So we get Hoynes showing up. Um, what are the other flashbacks we did? I love them in the um, New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, the basketball scene. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. we didn't get messed up with because in, is it six CG. or five? Yes, yeah. C- CJ becomes an all-state basketball player. Right. Right, which really bugs me. Oh, God. Yeah. It's it, like they should have picked one whole, characterization and stuck with that it. That whole and, plot, that episode, too, was just Oh, terrible. that whole episode is so terrible. Oh, I, I look for... Is that season five? That's season five, right? That's, no, that's season six. I look forward to skipping over that episode with a quickness when we get there. Because um, it's so kinda, bad. That's That gets into that period where the White House episodes are really not so good and the campaign episodes are really good and they keep yeah. alternating every time. Right. That's where that episode is. Aha, uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh, yeah. Like, I have no idea what happens in the rest of that episode. I just remember that part. Um. So, yeah. Um. But the main things that we're building to is the revelation that, like, we know that Leo is a drunk. We know that he's an alcoholic and has had pill addiction problems and is a, you know, going to meetings and all of this stuff at this point. What we haven't known until now is that he relapsed in okay. front of the guy that they've been trying to get out of the room who at the time was a big money donor trying to set up, trying to basically butter both sides of the bread and is now a U.S. congressman person. Yes. Um, And this is kind of a dual situation because we're also revealing that Bartlett had an MS attack that we didn't know about during the campaign, too. Um... So, basically, we have Leo back in the hotel. So, it's the night of the last debate. And Leo is back in the hotel while the team and Bartlett are, you know, basically previewing the venue and getting ready for that evening. And Leo's, you know, charming these donors. And one of them has brought this, you know, Johnny Walker Blue with them. And Leo, you know, Leo has a drink... And then the donors leave, and he gets plastered, like, with a quickness. And this is where we get the... Where where we get the kind of resolution of the plot that the whole episode's been going toward, is that we get this dual thing where... We get a classic Sorkin, good Republican versus... um, you know, money-hungry, moral, morally corrupt opportunist. And this hasn't been happening at all in the Republican Party in real life, recently. <laughs> and all. then we get this fantastic scene with Leo. I mean, and this is this is the Emmy scene. Is Leo going through that evening with Jordan, who previously had it set up? You know, she's like, "You're not paying me six hundred and fifty an hour to not tell me everything." Yes. You know, he's being Leo, he's being cantankerous and, you know, being, he's, he's punishing, what, what is it, you know, he, now he's being snotty, he's punishing snotty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, snotty questions by fake, t- you know, fake consulting with his lawyer and keeping the cameras on him and, and so he finally has to let down that, that veneer of Leoness and admit to her and, you know, in preparation for what we are led to believe will be admitting to the public that he, that not only did the president have an MS attack, but his second, you know, at, at this time, his second in command and functionally his second in command was drunk out of his mind. Yeah. 
and it's this really moving scene because he he talk I mean I think it's one of the better especially at this time better portrayals of alcoholism because he you know he doesn't it you know he's been saying through the entire episode ain't nothing but a family thing you know he's trying you know he's reassuring Jordan oh it ain't nothing but a family thing and it's that his father was an alcoholic and his grandfather was an alcoholic and it's 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 a just it's a rather really good scene and I liked the whole the whole little speech for how you know I don't know how someone has one drink yeah I, a glass of wine yeah it's it's the little things it's the well sound done, the ice yeah and yeah. it's really well performed by John Spencer it's mm-hmm. absolutely just a masterful performance in this in this very he doesn't need to be dramatic he doesn't need to raise his voice he just tells it and it's just it's fantastic um and then in the other room we get you know cliff Callie back again serving his actual purpose this time uh as the young good guy republican and then we get gibson who was the big money donor who's the guy that has the dirt on leo like these hearings aren't about what's right and wrong, they're about winning. <laughs> and it's that's not nearly as good as what's going on in the other room. But long story short, Callie's, you know, we're supposed to be good, we're supposed to, you know, Democrats are supposed to be the whatever, and we're supposed to be the good party, and, you know, we should put this into recess and, ex- you know, explore it again after Christmas, because the uh, this is a Christmas episode, so it's set on the day before the day before Christmas. So the government's obviously about to go into... Which, I mean, that's slightly unrealistic that they would be actually doing... Um, actually doing hearings on the 23rd. Yeah, because, so. yeah. as we know, most of Congress likes to skip town, like, halfway through December. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ain't no way that they would all be let they'd all let themselves be held back from their vacation homes by hearings, even hearings of this sort. But it's a good plot point and it's you know, it's around Christmas. So yeah, that's that's me rambling for thirty minutes on this. Y'all have any anything you want to talk about? I think you covered it pretty well. Um I guess we should do Josh's weird sexism. Yeah. yeah, well, it it's, just, it's not really Josh's weird. It's Sorkin's weird. It's like, whatever. Josh like it's that that line. Mm. Well, yeah, that. But that line is like Sorkin. We have we do have much more weird Josh sexism to discuss in the next episodes too. Yes, sure. Um, also, Sam completely feels like a guy that would have perfect handwriting, and they showed his notebook, and it was like terrible, and it just really threw me off. Um. Okay. I uh, I really like the last scene between the president and Bartlett. Um, that's and one, the president. Or the and president Leo. and Leo. That's one of my favorite scenes in the show. Um, where he says, that was an awful nice thing you did. And then gives him the napkin back. That is so... Oh, yes. Um, which, again, the nap, that's not the last appearance. The napkin is now in Leo's office for the rest of the time that Leo's there. It's on, like, one of his side tables yeah and it pops back up occasionally yeah uh, moving forward that's kind of like one of the i would say that's one of like the iconic props like if mm-hmm. you go on like etsy and stuff you can like you can buy, buy yeah, the bartlett can... oh. i mean the funny thing is that you could like make the bartlett for american napkin super easily by sure. getting a diner literally napkin. writing on a piece of paper yeah well, getting a diner napkin, printing out the Bartlett for America thing from wherever, tracing over it so you get the right handwriting, and sticking it in, like, a $2 frame from Michael's and not paying $20 for one on Etsy. Yes, but that's, yeah. like, one of the iconic, uh... Yeah. It's like that in the fishbowl. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, the, the humor through this episode is... Leo trying to get Jordan on a date, which takes a bit of that kind of sadder turn when he, like, throughout the entire episode, he keeps asking her, hey, we should go get breakfast. Hey, we should go get lunch. Hey, will you do dinner with me? And he find out at the end that he was trying to get her to say yes before he had to reveal this secret he'd been keeping. 
and she says, I'll go out with you anyway. And it's very, very sweet. And it's, a, it, you know, I love, I mean, I love their relationship so much. So, and it what, also, it also, because the actual end of that is actually, can we do tomorrow for Christmas Eve? Yeah. Which he hadn't realized that it was Christmas Eve. And you get the callback in the beginning, or in one of the flashbacks to, oh, how are Mallory and Jenny? Yeah. And it's a reminder, which we haven't, I mean, we don't talk about Lilio's personal life anymore. It's a reminder that he's just, like, home in the, is he still in the hotel? Like, Oh, yeah, no, he's, we see him in the sixth season and he's still in the hotel, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, he just lives in a hotel. He just, he just lives alone in a hotel, yeah. and it was a very sad reminder of that. But it was subtle, and I appreciated it. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. Margaret's outfit was on point. That was the black that's, and white? Yeah, the black and white with yeah. the hair twist. I like that. Yeah. yeah, Margaret's one of those... I feel like Margaret's, you know, Margaret's a gal who's like, I'm gonna be on C... You know, I'm gonna be on CN... Not CNN. I'm gonna C-span. be on C-SPAN. I'm gonna go, like, dig out my one... Like, my actual Chanel suit. And... Oh, no, she, like, went and bought that specifically. Oh, no. she, like... I'm gonna go yeah. buy my Chanel, mm-hmm. buy a Chanel suit, and yeah. you know, do my hair really well. Oh, of course. Yeah. One thing, and this actually goes for both episodes, and I kind of realized that Donna feels really marginalized at this point in season three. Mm-hmm. Like all of oh, like yeah. the growth of her as a character in season two just is like gone, <laughs> and she's just like barely there, and she's there like. Well, because, as we'll see in the next episode, we yeah. have to push Josh and Amy together, and we can't have self-actualized Donna yeah. if we're going to push Josh and Amy together. It, it just it struck me rewatching these two episodes that Donna is just like... Donna basically has like a Margaret-level level role, and they had pushed her way past that in season two. And she kind of, you know, by the time... Um, I would say by, like, the middle of season four, she's back to not being that, but it's just kind of weird at this point that we went so far backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron Sorkin! So, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. It's a really good episode. It's one of their... one One of the best episodes of the series, primarily because of John Spencer. Yes. Again, you know, you, you go through watching these, and John Spencer is like clearly acting circles around if almost everyone, everybody else, almost everyone else on an extremely prestigious cast, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, this again, as we've discussed before, is his last. This is his last work, oh, basically. God. Uh, Did you have to bring that up? Well, you know. oh god. And, uh, yeah. So, onwards. So, you know, at the end of the last episode, which is the Christmas episode, which isn't there usually a break between the Christmas episode and then the second half of a season? Yeah. There is more now than there was at the time. Now Here, let me back let like me middle look of February. Yeah. Let like me look. I, cause I this was probably, I would guess this was probably about a month or a month and a half. I had pulled up the episode list, if I, I thought I had pulled it up, I apparently ditched it in favor of Hold New on. Hampshire. In, Bartlett, in favor of... It wasn't, wait, I got it. Bartlett for America was December 12th and HCon was January 9th, so it was like three weeks. It's not so. really significant. But we, get, we do get, we get a bit of a break, and then we're moving into, so at the end of the previous episode... They had suspended the hearing, you know, put it in a recess for Christmas. And now we open on... Wait, is this is this the cold open? Is Jordan and Leo... Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we open on Jordan and Leo going to a back room, you know, doing back room dealings, which Leo is, you know, very accustomed to. Um, back room dealings in the Capitol, trying to make a deal so that... Leona does it. so basically so that the hearings are over. They the offer on the table is a censure. A 
joint originally proposed as a joint resolution censoring the president for his behavior. It's a non-binding resolution, as we'll go into great detail, or the episode goes into great detail, but it is basically a official government document saying the president did wrong. And that's where we take off in the new year. Um, there's there's a three and a half plots in this set one. There's Leo and the president and the censure. There's a uh, for what is it that what is it that Toby says he was employed for about thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, former White House photographer kiss and tell book uh, that jo- that Sam is very upset about. And then we get ugh Josh and Amy. And then the the kind of half plot that's scattered through is. Um, the the humor plot is Charlie found this map of what what did I would call it like the Holy Land? Yeah, Palestine. Or, yeah, um, that was drawn in eighteen oh nine or seventeen oh nine, and therefore mm-hmm. does not show the existence of Israel. And we get a parade of people coming in and out of the president's office telling him he can't hang this incredibly nerdy old map in the West Wing because people will be offended that it doesn't recognize Israel. And he's just not understand. Which this is a really funny plot because he is such a history wonk that he just wouldn't... I, I think it's actually completely believable that like on one level, like he would understand, like he would get why people, like not why, but like he would get that people would be pissed, but he just doesn't understand, like why they can't understand that it's a really like it's a historical document. They don't, you know, we have these historical documents with uh, Texas on them or something like that, like. And so I, I think that it's a really nice light plot, and it's a good way to kind of. Because we haven't had a lot of Charlie in the last couple of weeks, or a lot of good Charlie, and so it's it you know it does feel like a very Charlie thing that on his one day off he would go to a flea market, find a map, and give it to the president. Like, that is am I wrong? Char- no, that's very Charlie. Yeah, yeah. I um, this is a weird episode. Um, this essentially if. If this was a modern show, this would have been the mid-season finale that you then will have taken a three-month break after, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the wrap-up end of the MS plot, so we can move into the election plot, which basically starts in the next episode. Um, or a couple episodes down, but it basically starts in the next episode. I think we get our first mention of Governor Ritchie somewhere right around here. Um, it, it's and it just kind of it illustrates how badly the first half of this season was kind of screwed up by focusing on stuff like Indians in the lobby and the women of Kumar, as opposed to this like big MS thing hanging over the, like it's there in the background, but we barely even touch on it outside of the effect it has on like Donna's dating life. (laughs) Well, Donna's mental health in general, because the Donna dating life episode is the episode where she's going through the boxes. And that's, I mean, everything until she goes on a date with Cliff Callie is great in that episode. Right. But we just like get, like we get this, huge build-up in the second half of season two, and the build-up is just like, blah. And yeah, yeah, there's no payoff. There's no payoff. And this kind of tries to tie it in and make a big emotional payoff that the president's accepting censure, and this is such a big deal. And we kind of, it's a big deal for like three episodes, and then it's not a big deal at all. For me, the actual emotional payoff was him saying that he was wrong. Yes. Rather than accepting this, you know, you accept it I think for the sen- Yeah, you accept the censure, and I, I think that I think that what this is building to is not the censure, even though it's built around the censure. It's Leo and the president sitting down, and the president telling Leo, I was wrong. Not, you were wrong, Leo, but I was wrong. And I think that that's a big moment. 
And it's another one of those really good quiet moments between the two of them. And it's, it's something that's built up a lot at the end of the second season through the Manchester episodes, but then again, it's like a plot that's like just dropped for like ten episodes. Yeah. That the president doesn't actually admit that he was wrong. And then mm-hmm. we pick it up again here. It's just, it's like, I don't know, I just find, I find the first half of the third season to be really weirdly uneven. It is, well... This, There's like, no flow. When That's, was the a lot of single of the third, episodes. When was the first half of the third season written? It was. This is the stuff that all happened right after nine eleven and right after sorting up Boston for Coke. So you can you can see kind yes. of those two things influencing oh, the way that it was plotted and written. Like I, I can imagine that if they hadn't had those, you know, particularly. For, particularly for this room, the Sorkin getting busted for coke, but then yes. the national specter of what can and can't we say about this tragedy. Yeah, it definitely... And what, like, what can and can't we do with, like, it, you know, what what needs to change you know, in order to not seem... X, Y, or Z. 9-11 never explicitly happens in the show, but there's a definite tonal shift, especially from, like, this point moving forward um, in the foreign policy and the global outlook of the show. Yeah. Um, we got, you know, the, you know, Kumar is brought in so Kumar can exist to be Yeah, you know, that's Iraq. literally the only reason of yeah. the women of Kumar is to set up the second half of the season. Right, to set up that Kumar exists. and Yeah, it's Kumar a place is... with a strict religious dictatorship and... Kumar is some amalgam of, like, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Yeah. Mar it's is kind that. of all of the stereotypes. Yes, it's whatever the show needs it to be at a given time is really mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we get... There's a greater focus on terrorism and kind of... Um, especially Islamic terrorism... Although, as we discussed in Bartlett for America, that's actually a domestic terrorism episode. Uh, or at least the B-plot is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I think is interesting that there's this kind of undercurrent of guys with pipe bombs and guys with yes. uh, Molotov cocktails and stuff like that. But those are all domestic terrorists. And obviously, you know, terrorist has come to mean a very different thing in the intervening 15 years. Uh, we, we have to mention it. I know. know, I know. It just makes me angry. I know, it makes me angry too, but, you know. And the common parlance, terrorism is now specific to Islamic terrorism. Domestic terrorism is... A, insurgent. No, it's not even insurgent. I was going to say a misguided white person, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> hey, uh, He's such a good kid. A bone, a so... bone wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Um, and we're kind of making light of this, and we probably shouldn't be. But... I mean, I'm not. I'm sitting over here making all the various... I mean, it's just... It's one of those things that's really impossible to talk about because the way the world has changed since sure. these episodes aired... And while certain emotional tenors of these episodes are still very real and poignant, there is stuff in, like, I I don't know if you get this, I don't know if you get this pipe bomb, I don't know if you get some of the stuff that happens later in the the series. Oh, especially, I think the best best handling of... The Islamic terrorism issues on a domestic television show is the plot at the end of this season of The West Wing. Um, yeah. Which delves deeply into the moral implications of everything and the ambiguity and who the allies versus the enemies are. Um, and I will get to this when we get to the Yeah, we'll get to this, yeah. But um, I thought The West Wing deals very well with this but really only after this halfway season point. We really pick up from here on out, this is an excellent season. It's basically everything before Bartlett for America is kind of bleh, and then everything Bartlett for America through the end of the season is 
really quite good. Yes, on par with best of the show. But there's a couple, you know, I I don't like five is a particularly uh, divisive episode, and there's a couple other ones in here. Yeah. Um, but the overall run. The overall run, and that's even with um, a lot of Amy Gardner. God, there's a lot of Amy Gardner. Uh... But there's some really good stuff here. There's Hartsfield Landing, there's Dead Irish Writers, there's Stirred, um, there's all the Simon Donovan stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, um, it does get better, but it just, like, HCon's just, like, it's like a weird transitory episode. It is. It is a transition episode. Um, it puts Josh and Amy back together and is one of the more forced... Do we have to talk about this? No. Well, I mean, I'm just gonna say it's one of the more forced romantic plot lines that I have ever seen. Um... Which is oh. weird, because Bradley Woodford usually has chemistry with, like, every actress on the planet, and Mary Louise Parker usually has chemistry with every actor with on the planet, actress. and they don't have any chemistry with each other at all. They don't. They have none. It's it's really weird, and it just does not work. And I, I, I think that if they had Mary Louise Parker playing a different kind of character, there might have been better chemistry there. But because the character that she's playing really does need to be played in the way she's playing her I just it, it, we go back to my rant of a couple of weeks ago of if they never put them two together Amy would be a good character sure and Amy if, outside of the context of her relationship with Josh, Josh is, is a good character yeah. she's an interesting character yes. who and who Mary Louise Parker plays well there is I mean I can attest to this that when you're someone who spends a lot of your time fighting against a kind of men's world kind of mentality, you do become really bitter and bitey and, you know, you kind of have to have this spiky outer shell, and she does a good job of portraying that, except the fact that they have to have Josh come in and be Josh about it. And it's just like, like these two people would not end up together in the real world. And they don't end up together in the show for very long. Oh, yeah, but it's like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, there would be none of this kind of, like, 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 I, I, whatever. I see, it's like one of those things where I can see where they're trying to go, like, oh, Josh needs his intellectual equal, and they, you know, he's... But they specifically made Donna Josh's intellectual equal. That was what so much of season two was about. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying that it was the, that I I can see how they would have thought, you know, how Sorkin would have thought, oh, I don't want to make him sleep with the secretary. Here's what I'll do. And, or uh, at this point, whoever was controlling that particular plot line. You know, I don't, I don't want to make, him sleep with the secretary, so let's bring in this other character. And yeah. she's a powerful career woman with her own ideas, and that means that she'll be a good match for Josh. And Because obviously romance is built off of arguing. In Aaron Sorkin's world, it is. <sighs> anyway... We should talk about the fact that Jordan Kendall is still in Leo's office. Yes, Jordan just hides out in Leo. So Jordan's basically attempting to get Leo to at least go Take to the president. The president. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because they, he kind of does, he, I mean, he does go to the president. Like, he tells the president what they offered. Um, it's just he presents it in a way that's not... That it's an unserious offer. Because Jordan knows that Leo is... That if, if Leo goes to the president and says, you should do this, the president will do this. Sure. Now, so does the president, and the president ends up doing it without Leo said The president ends up coming to that decision on his own. But the best bet to get the president to take the deal is to make Leo believe in it. The point would... I mean, the person that actually turns to the president is Sam accidentally. Sam comes in to the office and the Oval Office talking about what's right and wrong and I don't take, you know, I don't think we should take the truth so casually and that's the moment where Bartlett, like, takes his glasses off and has, like, the great revelation that, holy shit, I took the truth really casually. 
Well, and you also end up you have the you have the Toby moment um, that I need to find because you you get Toby saying something very pointed. At least I believe it's in this episode that Toby says something very pointed and it's like and then Santa comes in and he's in this lather about this terrible book that's just I it, that, that has a great one of the one of the great lines you know fiction or nonfiction science fiction really. Yes. It is a fantastic line. Um, you know, it's one of those, like, trashy, everyone in the White House is fucking each other, you know. With just enough truth in there that they would have a hard time rebutting everything, every single thing that was said. But, but also too many lies. Be- Nobody's going to sit there and go through that whole book. That's not how you handle these things. Well, I think I think we're supposed to think that Sam is doing this because he's stressed out about the State of the Union and he's he's grabbing onto something he can control because there's the hearings and they don't know, like, because none of them are on the inside except for Josh and they talk about this a lot. You know, none of them are on... So they, 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 they know that something is going on that they don't know what. And so since... So Sam is seizing on this book as a thing that he can control as... Uh, you know, it just is a very unrealistic reaction. I don't think it. I mean, I don't think it's unrealistic from Sam. We've seen Sam take this kind the of thing. The whole staff getting in on it—that's not happening. Well, but the staff what didn't get in on it? Like he's—he's—he's he's the, he's the one that had his his secretary do all of the copying, and then like the the staff only takes them because they're gonna la- use them to laugh at. Like CJ is the one who actually has to kind of do something with this because. It's that's part of her job as press secretary, but she you get the feeling from the talk that she and Toby and Sam have deal with these either. These well, get, I mean, if it, these get buried, you don't acknowledge these things. These get written. That's what she the- says: is you don't know you don't acknowledge these things. No, but she's saying I'm going to talk to you know the editors. No, you don't. Nobody, you don't talk about them. Yes, the Toby the Toby line from earlier in the office is the when the fall that's all that's left it matters a great deal from yes. Richard the Third. I believe that's Richard correct. something. No, it was Lion in the Winter. Oh, Lion in Winter, yeah. Um, the the you know when the fall is all that's left it matters a great deal and it's the very are you trying to and you know are you trying to say something Toby and Toby's like of course not sir. And, um, and there's like, I, I, yeah, I can. I mean, in the real world, this stuff gets buried, but it's also not an unrealistic thing for someone like Sam to glom onto, especially since we're getting introduced or reintroduced to Sam's more idealistic tendencies, setting up at this point season four stuff. Um, you know, because Sam, Sam is the idealist who, well, how dare they say anything? untrue about this White House and we've just gone through this whole thing with telling the truth and now there's this guy out there who said that he worked here who's spreading these base lies about us and I, I love the fact that you know, it was, wasn't the mini golf and that is great blocking in that scene where they look around the lamp at each other wasn't it mini golf? Yes. I love that scene. Also the Ed and Larry. I'm yes. Ed, he's Larry. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is an entertaining episode. I like that it moves the plot along. Um, but it's really setting up more... It's really to get the MS plot out of the way and to set up more interesting stuff that's coming in the future, I think. We do get a great... feel like a layover episode. Like, there's a purpose to it still. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. It did a good right. job. Right, no, that's a compliment. Uh, we do get a great Margaret moment. In, in our odds and ends bit, we get a great Margaret moment. I have I actually transcribed that quote out. <laughs> is it just an open house in here? The whole system's out of hand. See, the way she says that is just so great. Like the one Margaret line we've gotten for two episodes that she's been in, and it's great. Well, no, she had the, she had the line in Bartlett for America. Oh no, it was Jordan, but he can't take the call right now. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. It's the president. <laughs> you can't take the call in here. It's the president. You can take this call. <laughs> oh. So now we move really into, as we talked about already, we move into the election cycle. We move into the president preparing to try to win, you know, try to win what at first looks like it's going to be a highly contested election. And, yeah. Our next two episodes are, what, 100,000 airplanes in the two Bartlets? Yep. Oh, my God. Are we doing... I feel like the next... Is the next uh, show a three-episode show? I will look for you. Because I think it's... A, I think it's 100,000 episodes in two Bartlets and, like, five all together. 100,000 episodes? 100,000 there. It feels like 100,000 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel like 100,000 episodes. I am checking right this second. My friend just sent me photos from the skating rink at the mall at home because it's John Travolta and Kelly Preston just like skating around the mall outside Macy's. This is incredible. We, um... We have, next week, we will have the two Bartlets and Night Five. Uh, I, we missed hunt, we missed airplanes in here. So apparently so we're doing three we're episodes. We're going to do three week. episodes this week. We're going to do 10,000 airplanes. 100,000 airplanes. I thought it was 10. No, and, and a number of airplanes. A lot of airplanes. Which is the State of the two Union Bartlets. episode. And Night Five. Yes. No, Night Five is the stand episode. No, the State of the Union episode. Oh, State of the 000. Union. Sorry, the State of the Union. Yes, and the State of the Union episodes are always good. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then the week after that, we will have Hartsfield's Landing. Or week. I say week. Week The episode. Burn, yes. The episode after that, we will have Hartsfield's Landing and Dead Irish Riders. And then we will motor right along. Which we may have special guests at some point. We may have guests. We, have. we may not have guests. Yes. It may just be the three of us. It, you know... What you hear is what you get. We're here to ramble at you about some West Wing and also, you know, try to tie it to today in meaningful and not meaningful ways. And uh, at some point we're going to elect a real president here? Or, you know, not. Possibly two, the way things are going. (laughs) At some point I will move to Canada. I'm moving so we're good. On that note... For Kate and Jarrett and myself, the other Kate, good night.